Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Wolverine.com podcast. This is our post-MSU version yeah, with Doug Skeen, Michigan's former All-Big Ten offensive lineman who played in his share. Wow, the questions are starting right away. <laughs> share of Michigan-Michigan State games, but probably never one that ended quite like this. Uh, now, mm-hmm. we were talking earlier about the shenanigans in-game, and at the end of the game, I was just sent a video that said Blake Corum was watch this Blake Corum was punched at the bottom of a pile and you can see a guy look pretending like he's going for the ball and you see a couple of shots to the ribs uh things like that you're telling me Doug Skeen Michigan's former all big 10 offensive lineman that that uh, that, that isn't shocking behavior and for this well game. it's not it's not shocking for this game mm-hmm. uh, so so Ballas in all my years of of little league high school uh, college in the NFL. I've, I've never played in a football game that was more violent and had more bad blood than the Michigan, Michigan state game. Um, <clears throat> our last year, the last year we played them in Ann Arbor as seniors, that one got out of hand and it started from the beginning and went right through to the end. So um, it's, it's, it is a, it is, it is a, it is a violent game in a different way. Um, you and I have talked about in previous podcasts. Uh, I remember uh, that year, um, the Michigan State, a, a green Michigan State glove coming inside my face mask at the bottom of a pile, just, you know, scratching and trying to get, you know, any kind of damage to my eye. And, you know, I had to squint my eye closed because dude was going to rip my eyeball out. And I was down there, you know, pinned against the ground. And it was violent. You know, guys, uh, guys, I remember guys diving at my knees. Um, you know, and I and I and I'll never forget. There was an officials' timeout that year. Um, the White Hat came to the Michigan sideline. Both teams had to go to the sidelines. White Hat came to the sideline, told Coach Moeller, "You got to get your players under control. It's getting out of hand out here." Went over to the other side, um, talked to I think it was Coach Perlis at the time. Uh, said the same thing over there, and it, it, you know it may have slowed down a little bit, Ballas, but I, I'd never played in a game that featured that kind of hatred. And I try to characterize this by other rivalries, other rival games and how those games are played. The Ohio State game, obviously, they're all violent, right? But that game is different, um, the Ohio State game, than the Michigan-Michigan State game. There's just some dirty, bad blood out there, and there's just something special that happens out there with this disrespect, no matter who's claiming it. And uh, guys want to kill each other, literally want to kill each other out there in that football field. And it looked like uh, that this game was no different. Well, you're being far too diplomatic. A couple of things. Uh, it wasn't the Michigan kids. And yeah, they were upset about last year and they were doing some talking on bulletin boards and things like that. And that's one thing. It's another thing to have tunnel assaults after the game. And this is where it gets a little bit serious. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, hang on. It's, my yeah. comments were not about the tunnel issue. Okay. My, to- yep. my commentary is about what happens between the white lines in this game every year. And yep. we can go back in the last 10, 15 years of Michigan State was rubbing our nose in it. And there's all kinds of stuff going on there. And and but I'm not talking about what's on this screen here. I've never seen anything like this. I was never a part of any tunnel activity that we've seen on these clips here before. Never. Okay. Well, we're going to get to this in a minute here, Hutch, our producer. But um, uh, we'll talk about the game, too, as well. But for, uh, first things first, Skeen, um, what do you do when you get back to a locker room? Because there was we have a couple people who were in the locker room, and they said when their teammates saw – a couple of these kids, one of them apparently has a broken nose or had a nasal injury, according to Jim Harbaugh. And you could see probably the punch that caused it. And then you see another kid. 
and we'll we'll bring this up in a second, uh, getting beaten with a football helmet. So you go back to your locker room and you see your buddy there. And I guess it was all the coaches could do to deescalate this thing because guys were guys were literally pissed off to the point where they were, you know, like, all right, what are we going to do about this and asking their coaches? And I give those coaches a ton of credit, uh, by the way, for deescalating this thing. But you can see back there, Jamon Green getting uh, beaten with a helmet. It's unbelievable. So as a player, uh, what are your emotions after that game already? Uh, what are your emotions going into that locker room? Well, first of all, the locker room in Ann Arbor in the tunnel there, the, the, you know, going back to the Penn state game and the stuff that happened there. Um, there are some rules that I remember as, as a younger player, the older guys would tell us, you know, when you're going up to these tunnels and in other visiting stadiums, your helmet stays on and you keep your chin strap strapped up until you get inside of our locker room. Cause you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, and looking back on it now at this age, it's clear, you know, when you're young and the testosterone is flying around ballast, people will do some, some stupid stuff. Um, and, and, and it looked like this was no, no exception. So what do you do? Of course, you know, you know what the answer to that is. You want to go out and you want to kill somebody. Yeah. So ab- absolute credit to the coaches for keeping those guys in that locker room because that would have been really, really bad. It's bad enough what happened, right? It's bad enough that that guys lost control of their emotions for a moment and what happened happened. That's it's bad. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, if had I been in a locker room and seen one of my teammates come in with a with a bloody nose because of someone he was just assaulted in the in the in the hallway, I guarantee you, me and Everett and Kakuza would have been out to kill somebody. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm sure that the players in the Michigan team felt the same way. So whoever was on that Michigan staff around that doorway, keeping guys from going out, thank goodness they were there because it would have just gotten worse. Um, yep. And we'd be talking about this in a much bigger fashion than we already are. Yeah, let's go back to yellow shirt guy who paid nineteen ninety nine to tell us <laughs> they should have grabbed their chicken sandwich and gone home. Exactly. It's, it's That's that what simple. you do. Get your you box, know, um, take your lumps. Yeah. Being that, so this is, you know, again, and, and we'll talk about this here, I'm sure, in a second, you know, some yeah. of the statements the coaches have made. But when you when you play these games and you lose, um, there's nothing to do but walk back to the locker room, stay amongst your teammates. Um, you can talk amongst them all you want. Get back in the locker room, take your helmet off, sit and think for a minute, figure out how you're going to get through this. We've all you've played sports, Ballas. We've all played sports. Doesn't matter whether you're at that level, at the high school level, you lose a rivalry game and guys are talking at the end of the game. It's it's pretty rough being on the receiving end, but there's nothing else you can do. Taking the helmet off and assaulting someone certainly doesn't make it any better. It doesn't change the outcome of the game. Right. And thanks, yellow shirt guy, for paying the nineteen ninety nine to bring up the chicken sandwich thing. We're going to have T-shirts made and you're getting a free one. Yellow shirt guy, a free uh, Doug Skeen's chicken sandwiches uh, and might even start a franchise. We'll, we'll give you some details for franchising opportunities. folks. Yeah, but sure. OK, so pregame and this is a pretty interesting scheme. Apparently they put together somebody who was there put together clips of the Michigan media and all of the disrespect and everything that was going on before the game. And apparently, I guess in one of these podcasts, I said, Michigan state sucks this year, which clearly they do. (laughs) Uh, And we'll talk about that in a minute. This is not a Michigan state team that really had a great chance to win this game. In fact, it was kind of surprising that it was as close as it was at the half. And we'll talk about red zone deficiencies in football here in a second. But um, so I'll say this now, anything, 
that anybody wants to use from this podcast of me talking about Michigan State is is fine. Go for it because uh, we're not holding back here. I know Doug Skeen always tries to be diplomatic and say, I don't think I remember saying anything. Probably not. It was probably me. I have a big mouth and, and so be it. Uh, but to that <laughs> point, uh, to see some of the, the tweets on this incident and people calling it a scuffle, the, the Michigan State media, and I'm not saying they're complicit in this, but call it what it is, okay? It's not a scuffle if a guy is on the ground getting kicked by 10 different Michigan State players, as Jim Harbaugh said, 10 on one, and maybe Hutch can play that here in a second. Uh, you see what's going on here. It is one kid trying to get away from a group of players, and they are kicking him in the head. They are punching him and everything else. Number two, if you're retweeting that, hey, one of their guys was skipping up the tunnel and he had it coming, then you're part of the damn problem. Okay, and creating this culture of hatred that really Mark D'Antonio, in my opinion, took to the next level when he had. Okay, it's it's unhealthy is what it is. Bobby Williams, I remember that Big Ten Media Day in 2001 after the Clockgate game and saying to him, you know, talk talk about the rivalry, the one, you know, the last second game and everything else. He goes, it's a bad rivalry. And you think they would have changed that rule for us and everything else. And all I wanted was his response to the rule being changed about the clock on the field. And it's like, wow, this guy, you know, has some major, he needs to see a shrink or something here. But Mark D'Antonio comes in, you have the, I think it was the 2013 or the 2011 game where they're twisting Gennard Robinson's helmet. It was the 11 game at the bottoms of piles. They're literally trying to hurt people. And I'm thinking, okay, the hatred is real. Uh, you got to reassess here what your, your values are and what you what you're getting from this. So uh, I think it's an ingrained part of their culture scheme. They can use that on next year's uh, whatever they put together. But uh, to me, it's gotten to the point where it's unhealthy and something needs to be done. Well, obviously it's unhealthy because you don't want to see guys from any teams doing this to each other. You don't want that. Um, and, and for the record, I think I've been pretty respectful of Michigan State since uh, Coach Tucker's been there. I think I've gone much. I think I've gone on record and saying, well, I really wanted to dislike Coach Tucker, but I kind of like him. I think he'd probably be a good coach to play for. He seems like he really, he really, uh, uh, you know, demands toughness. And and mm-hmm. I like, I like his body language. It seems, you know, again, I, I, I want to dislike the guy, but I haven't had a reason to since he's been at Michigan State. And if you take away the green and the white and, and the things that are on our screen here, uh, the guy's going to, he's done a good job since he's been at Michigan State. And some Michigan State fans might say otherwise here in the last six games or since they beat us a year ago, they've been on a bit of a, a difficult run here. But, um, you know, I've always tried to look at these things and and from the from the lens of my experiences in the Michigan State game, Ballas, and you just went through a few years there where, you know, there was stuff caught on a camera. But I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Ballas, that that kind of stuff has gone on in this football game for a long, long time. It certainly predated uh, Mark D'Antonio and uh, Jim Harbaugh and, and now Coach Tucker. And so that's that's not new to me. I, I do think that uh, what changed in the 2000s, um, and it, it was the year that Michigan lost to Appalachian State. Um, let's not kid ourselves. Inside the walls of Schumbeckler Hall and inside the walls of the Duffy football building up there at Michigan State. Um, well, there's a lot of talking about your rivals. There's a lot of things being said, right? And that was always kept inside the locker room. And what changed the year Michigan lost to Appalachian State in that press conference in East Lansing, when Mark D'Antonio said, should we have a moment of silence for Michigan football? 
And I don't know, Ballas, if it was unprovoked, if someone asked him, but it didn't matter. He said those words, and that lit a fire. And then that season, we know that we know the rest of what happened and how it and how it played out. And then Mike Hart said what he said, and it's been gasoline ever since. And then and then the other thing that changed, and, and I think that goes back to I think it was the D'Antonio era. Uh, when the when the when the the trophy started coming out of the locker room, that trophy was always kept in the locker room. It was never paraded around the field and never stuck in anyone's face. Um, it feels like things changed. Um, I can't remember what year it was. It was the Brady Hoke era. Um, um, one of my friends, Kurt Mallory, was on that staff. Um, had lost to Michigan State, good Michigan State team in East Lansing for the fourth year in a row. And uh, had a chance to talk to Mallory when he was here in Ann Arbor, and 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 I remember seeing this on television too. That's why I called him to ask him about it. <clears throat> At the end of that game, it was the fourth victory in a row for for the Spartans over Michigan, and uh, deservingly so. Again, they had good teams, Ballas, and we did not. Um, but I remember the Michigan State sideline; the, the clock expired to zero, and you know, see like guys kind of mill together toward the middle of the field. That that team sprinted across the field. I'm like, what are they? What are they running at there? What are they sprinting at? Well, those players all ran across the field and they stuck, you know, four fingers in everybody's face. Coaches, players, assistants, trainers, and it was he, Mouse said he's never seen anything like it yeah. around any rivalry game. So yes, things have changed for the worse as far as the civility and the sportsmanship goes in the last 10, 15 years in this thing. But here's, in my view, here's how this gets fixed. This gets fixed with Mel Tucker and Jim Harbaugh fixing this. This gets fixed with establishing expectations of your players when they're in the tunnel in your own stadium or anybody else's stadium. And this is going to get fixed maybe with law enforcement here, and the Big Ten is going to get involved on this one, as it probably should. Um, but this this gets this gets fixed with expectations of leadership. And, and it's not just the head coach, but the leaders on the team. But I, I do agree that things have gotten really sour, and maybe it's a reflection on things have gotten sour in the social fabric of our nation with everything else going on and in the, the lack of civility so many times where people can't sit and talk to one another. But again, having been there, done that, on the, on the winning side of this rivalry and the losing side of this rivalry, it is a feeling that is difficult to describe if you're on the losing side of it, and it wouldn't take much to come off. Now, if either one of these young men from Michigan – were assaulted unprovoked because a guy was skipping up the tunnel because he's happy that his team won. And someone is saying that that is your reason to be assaulted. Come on. Yeah. It's just, come on. That's ridiculous. Um, Cause if the shoe were on the other foot, they would feel the same way. Yeah. Um, so I don't buy any of that. I'm hoping that the big 10, I think, I really think the big 10 needs to come down with a really heavy hammer here to send a message to any of anybody else that's ever thinking about doing something like this to think twice and we'll see. We'll see if the local prosecutor in Washington County gets involved. I have a feeling that they're not. Um, but I think the Big Ten has got enough video um, to know that uh, something needs to be done. And Coach Tucker made a statement today too that addressed Swift and, and action. We'll see. I, I'm interested to see what happens here, Ballas. If there'll be suspensions either from the Big Ten and or uh, Michigan State based on what they find out. 
Yeah, and there's another video out there, however, of Coach Tucker apparently banging on the door right after the Jamon Green incident and, and being angry about something. So allegedly him. We're going to see if that's true. If that's the case, then then what Coach Tucker said about he didn't know what happened in that tunnel is a bunch of crap, too. But you're right about Mark D'Antonio taking this thing to another level. Uh, there's the statement as Spartans, our yeah. program, some of the, that somebody in PR wrote for him. As Spartans, our program has a responsibility to uphold the highest level of sportsmanship. While emotions were very high at the conclusion of our rivalry game at Michigan, there's no excuse for behavior that puts our team or our, our opponents at risk. Um, yeah, see, if that were Mark D'Antonio, it would be really hard for him to read because I think that he embraced that part of the rivalry. And there is a large oh, segment. Yeah. There's a large segment of that fan base that loved the fact what he was making fun of, of Mike Hart's height when yeah. Mike Hart was using the little brother thing. Yeah. It's kind of an illness. It really is. I hate to say it. It's a, the <laughs> hatred. Well, the hatred that is that brews up inside of you. And it really, frankly, it's why there's no respect. They, oh, we want you respect. Everybody's like, you know, the disrespect card and everything. Who's going to respect this program? Uh, I, I'm not, I tell you what, Paul Feinbaum from ESPN certainly is. And he came out and said, you know what? This, these, some of these guys should have been kicked off the team already. What are we waiting for? This isn't a Michigan thing. This is a national thing where people are looking at your program and wondering what in the hell is going on up there. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's gotten bizarre. So, and on that note, speaking of bizarre, before I let you go in there, we're going to do a read here for manscaped. Uh, we'll try to get through this one. All right. Cue the haunted music. Can you play like the the shining music or something like that? (laughs) I don't, I can't do that for you. Come on, man. Skiing. You gotta be prepared (laughs) anyway. All right. Michael Myers sure is scary, but the last thing you need is to be hairy this Halloween scheme. We're not talking about the top of your head here. Mm-mm. Luckily, our friends at Manscaped launched their fourth-generation performance package to make sure your pumpkins get the ultimate carving experience on this spooky day. Turn your bite-sized treat into a king-sized candy and join the six million men worldwide, probably six and a half million after this read, who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. 20 go blue is the code. Uh, make the right call this spooky season. It's trick or trim. Uh, <clears throat> folks, do not put Manscaped products into the uh, kids' trick or treat bags, but buy them for yourselves. This is a fantastic product. Skeen, we've given you a ton of them, man. Even the shampoo, I'm guessing. Hey, that it's I Ballas, I got to tell you, it's, it's yeah. really nice. It's really nice stuff. The, the guys the, that sent that out, I appreciate it. And yeah. um, stuff smells good, makes you feel good. So, yeah. Yeah. Look good, smell good. I guess you got to, you know, you got a little pep in your step. And Tracy, uh, and Tracy probably enjoys it too. So have you, uh, <laughs> have you ever tried to trim your balls and it turned into a Freddy Krueger film? Well, luckily Manscaped is here to save the day. Make sure you're feeling your best in your costume. Uh, 20 go blue at manscaped.com. Okay. We'll get back to that in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. All right, Skeen. So let's talk about the game here and then we'll, well hang on. Up. You know, one, one more yeah. thing about yeah. the, okay. the, the, yep. the outside the, the thing. You remember after the, um, the, the, the clock game, when yes, the, the I do. And I remember what Lloyd Carr said after that game. And, and I, I just thought of it as you was doing the read there about the emotions outside the white lines that are going on here. And the one thing that Coach Carr said after that game uh, that really stuck with me is that this game and this rivalry deserves better. Right. And and I kind of think that applies here as well. And that, you know, this this rivalry that we have here in Michigan, and I don't know how far this thing stretches beyond our borders here, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, for us Michigan and Michigan State fans. Um, but boy, this is not something that you want the rivalry to be known for is is borderline or, or criminal activity after the game in the tunnel. It just it's, it's a bad look for the teams. It's a bad look for the rivalry. It's a bad look for Michigan State right now, as it should be. It's a bad look for the young guys that that were swinging and punching our guys. 
And it just sucks. It's just not to be that way. So, well, you know, as leaders, someone's got to step up and lead here, Ballas. Someone's got to mm. teach these young men to learn how to lose and you learn how to win. You're talking about a university devoid of leadership for a long time, in my humble opinion. And I think maybe maybe you don't share it, but I certainly do. Never should have let them in the Big Ten back in the 1950s. Uh, <laughs> and maybe we can take another maybe we can take another vote here and uh, and send them somewhere else. You know what? To the uh, the ACC or whatever. All right, I'm done. Uh, let's talk about the game. Okay, uh, disappointing. We were texting during the game, and we were talking about the red zone and a, a few things, Skeen. It doesn't seem like the scheme in the red zone. It seems like they're trying plays. Even the Blake Corum touchdown to me was a risk. You know, you're, you're running that little uh, play and he could have been tackled at the two yard line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't like it. Uh, they, I didn't, they are losing more yardage on first and second down plays in the red yeah. zone inside the 10 than they're gaining. To me, it's about you, what you hammer, you get down to the four, then you get down to the two, well, then you get down to the one. And if you need another one, buddy, then uh, then you pound it right at them. You know, you don't try this little trickery and stuff. Now, the red zone attempts five for five. But guess what? A lot of those were field goals. Yeah. Uh, red zone defense was great. But something's got to change their scheme. What is it? Well, Ballas, first of all, what's going on in first and 10 second? There's first and goal, second and goal. Um, and in my opinion, there's two different red zones. <clears throat> it's all one red zone, but there's two within it. There's the 20. There's a 20 yard line in. And it's a different feeling in there. The, the field starts to be compressed. But when you're inside the 10-yard line, it's even more different. And what opposing teams, and Michigan State was no different, what opposing teams are doing inside that 10-yard line is they are slanting and pinching the box, bringing guys off the edge and slanting their ends inside tackles, tackles inside guards, and filling all the gaps. Because Michigan has shown that we love to still pull guys and kick and attack edges. So that's how you defend that thing. And when you combine that with the fact that it, appear, it appears that we don't have a big, tall, strong possession guy inside down there in the red zone, we can go to the, the football with who who is our feature receiver inside the 10 yard line when we have yeah, to pass it. Yeah. I don't know that we have a strong presence there. So the answer is simple. Pinch that box, take away all options of different angles, and then you have difficulty running the football. So if a defense is pinching all your gaps and you do one of your block down pull schemes that Michigan loves to do, that is really, really hard yeah. to get that kick block on the edge because that guy is closing the edge before you can even get there. If you're a pulling guard or a pulling backside guard or even a frontside guard, doesn't matter. There's no space to create the crease. So that's what defenses are doing. And going back to the Indiana game, that's what they started doing against us. And so Michigan State continued that trend. And so Michigan's going to have to find a way to either change up their, their tendencies inside the 10, 15-yard line when it comes to running, or they're going to have to be, get better at attacking gaps or play certain plays to try to account for people that are pinching. Either way, this is what I see from the X's and O's standpoint as to why we're having trouble inside the red zone. Of course, the end result is field goals, as we know, in this game worked because Michigan State's offense was struggling and et cetera. Um, against the team at the end of the season, field goals ain't going to get it done. We all know that, right? We can say that out loud in pretty good confidence that you ain't going to go down to Columbus and win the football game with field goals. No. And so, and there'll be a game before Columbus uh, against Illinois, who's quietly seven or eight and one right now, seven and one. Um, that's that's coming up as well as now it's landing on my radar for sure. That team's rolling. Um, but the red zone ballast, they got to figure it out. I don't know yeah. if it's just I, part of it has to be tendencies and they've been scouted 
And this is this is the answer right now is pinch the box against Michigan inside the 10. And somebody asked a good question. How much of it is the result of having two coordinators and who's responsible for that? We'll talk about who's responsible for the red zone play calling here in uh, an article later in the week, because we've got some insight on that and then some intel, but it needs to be better. And it's not like this is a, just a Michigan problem, though. I'm tell you what, I was watching Ohio State the last two weeks and watching them against Iowa. Uh, they were kicking up field goals all over the place, skiing against a good defensive football team. Sometimes you tip your hat to the other guy. Same with Penn State, which had a great chance to win that game. Uh, our producer Hutch, Penn State guy, you know what? They had every opportunity there before they gave it away. Sean Clifford taketh, uh, giveth, Sean, you know, taketh away, whatever. But um, it, it needs to get better. And they need to have maybe one guy where they're saying, okay. Uh, and if it's not, the guy's not doing his job, then you know what? Maybe somebody else gets a crack here because it shouldn't be that hard. And uh, to me, uh, if you're not going to be an explosive passing team like like Ohio State, if they're having issues in the red zone, you know what? They're going to have a, a explosive 65-yard touchdown at some point anyway, so it's not a big deal. But when you are not relying on that part of your passing game, then you better figure out how to get in the end zone when you're in the red zone because those are plays that you're going to need if you're going to beat Ohio State. Well, there's there's all, obviously there's offensive options out there, Bows, to take advantage of a defense that's pinching your edges. And you can watch all the film you want where at the middle point of the season, you can probably get some tips and see some tendencies of a defense inside the goal line. And you can start seeing how you're going to possibly take advantage. You know, when a defense pinches your edge and you like to kick that edge and come up inside a tight end or a tackles block out there, you know, the, uh, you saw Michigan, the pin and kick or the, what they call the pin and the pin and uh, push or whatever. I call it the old G, but <laughs> All you do is you, instead of trying to kick that blocker out, you end up logging it. So you can still pull your guards and, and, and do what you want on the edge. You just have to be ready for a different block and your back has to block that, kick that thing outside. And I, I would guess that we're going to see some of that as teams continue to pinch the, pinch the box against us inside. But, um, you know, back to the question that was pro posted there by Brian, I think is, is two offensive coordinators cause of this problem? No, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they're going to, both of these guys, whether it's Juan or both of them and, and Jim and his offensive staff, they're going to have to look at this thing and look at their tendencies. They got their, all the support staff. They'll go back from the very beginning of the season and say, okay, what are all the self-scouting that they'll do? What, what, what do we look like inside the 10? Why are we this predictable and why we can't get the ball in the end zone between the tight ends? and figure out a different way to do it. They have options, Ballas. They got a really good back. I mean, Blake Corum in this football game, good grief. How many times did he grind out an extra two or three yards? And he can do the same out. thing down inside the 10-yard line, and he does. We just got to give him a little bit more of a crease than he had, and you have to stop the negative plays down inside the 10 yeah. and be ready for that stuff. So I, I'm not too concerned about it. I think it's definitely a concern, uh, but I don't – see any problem with Michigan being able to fix this and become more efficient inside the 10. It'd be a good. Now would be a good time to start Zion Schaub uh, with a nice question there. How much is execution up till Saturday? I thought a lot of it was uh, execution. Uh, there were plays that we called out specifically the little uh, flat pass to Donovan Edwards. I thought was a really well-designed play at about the 16 yard line and McCarthy overshot him. Uh, there were a couple others where Edwards had a couple of bad cuts against Penn state uh, to me. 
I thought play calling was more of an issue this game, uh, to be honest with you. You cannot be losing three yards. If you're first and goal from the five and your second goal from the eight, then you're doing something wrong. Flat well, out. I, yeah. I would say execution. And, and here's here's where I would say play calling, yes. Down mm-hmm. inside the 10-yard line, I don't want to be going lateral with the, with the running football. I want to be going at a 45 exactly. off, off my tight end's uh, right butt cheek or inside of it or off my left tight end or tackles butt cheek or just inside of it. I want to be going at the goal line. So any kind of ball action that takes the thing laterally against defenses that are pressing your box and, and coming off the edge, not a good play in my mind. And then the other part is it's always execution. And so even on the plays there Saturday night against Michigan State where you saw we had leakers in the backfield, if, if an offensive lineman – is taking the proper steps. doesn't matter whether you're going to the right or the left. It doesn't matter which gap you have responsibility for. If someone is pressing your gap and you put your foot where it belongs and you get your feet going where they belong and your head gets going where it belongs, you can stop and block any of it. So, yes, again, down inside the 10-yard line, everything gets magnified. So a poor step at the 40-yard line when you've got all kinds of room is one thing. A poor step down inside the 10 or inside the five is a much worse thing. You have to have outstanding footwork down inside that that goal line area. Otherwise, you're going to have dudes in the backfield, which is what our problem is. Yep. Ayoko makes a good point. Teams are playing two high safeties while crashing linebackers at the line of scrimmage. Play action passes along developing play. Uh, asking People asking why there's not more play action. Screen passes. Somebody's been asking that, too. I can't remember the last time we saw a screen pass. Yeah, I haven't seen one, with, especially right. with these two backs that, that are really good at catching the ball. Out I don't of get it. Field. Yeah. Yep. So. And, and the old the old school screen, right? And, and I'm not talking about the wide receiver bubble screen. I hate that no. play. I hate <laughs> what, that play. Why? I always hate. I just it just seems like a low percentage play. I just don't like. I don't like taking my wide receiver, having him come back toward the, the traffic, catch the ball, and get upfield. How many times do you see a defensive player, an outside linebacker, even an inside linebacker or safety, get a highlight reel play because they sniff that thing out so fast, they come flying up there and absolutely tee off on a guy. I'm old school. I love the old traditional uh, uh, screen play where you take your pocket pass pro, you give that defender one shot with the hands, and then you let him go, and then you get your guard and your tackle out there with a lead block right. in front of a quorum or an Edwards, and that's a nice first down play. I always love seeing the fat guy out there leading the charge, man. <laughs> it's so much fun out there, Ballas. <laughs> Looking for somebody to hit. Oh, it's so much fun to get out on the edge. When you get yeah. out on the edge and you, and you get out there, and it's it is hard. You know, you, you see the defensive guys that you never really have a chance. The defensive backs, uh, corners, and safeties are out there. Their eyeballs get this big when they see a big offensive lineman coming out there, and yeah. and uh, you just want to take advantage of the situation. It's a lot of fun uh, to do it. But you're right, Michigan has not been running that play. We haven't seen much of any of it. And then with as active with as active as our tight ends are, and, and Scootmaker yeah. making all these catches. Um, there's tight end screens as well, you know, right. but, um, so there's options in there and maybe just, maybe it's in that playbook. We just haven't gotten to that page yet. Yeah. Because they haven't really played anybody yet. You talked about Illinois. It's amazing how much Illinois looks like Wisconsin of old now. And why do you think that is? You got Brett Bielema out there on the sidelines. So <laughs> yeah, we'll right. talk about the big 10 West in a minute, guys, but the, um, talking about the domination of, of Michigan state. And I did want to talk about the inside screen for one more second. I remember Desmond Howard zipping inside of you for like know, a I touchdown know. against I know. Purdue. I know. Now it was, it was, it was, well, it might've been Purdue. I think the first yeah. play of the game against Northwestern. Still that too. One of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and not the same though, because on wide receiver screens, you typically yeah. have a slot out there. 
uh, that screen that Desmond scored on, I was the lead blocker from the left guard position. Okay. So about, imagine Ballas the speed that had to be displayed by that offensive lineman to get out there yeah. and block for Desmond. That's Desmond was, was sitting thinking. there waiting like he caught the ball. Come on, Skeen, <laughs> get over here. Come on, get. Come on, let's go. I got to go. <laughs> I love it. It looks like you're running in slow motion to get to your guy. And oh, I guarantee there. it was slow yeah, motion. <laughs> that was classic. Pull Olu and Zinter, they will crush guys. They've done that. They did that against Penn State, and, yeah. uh, and it worked pretty well, as a matter of fact. And Trevor Keegan, too, uh, is another one that they've been pulling. So uh, overall, your thoughts on how the line Well, play. you say pull Olu and Zinter, yeah. Yes, but pulling guys down inside the five-yard line different no. than pulling guys in the middle right. of the field. Oh, we saw them when they tried to do it, yeah. and El Hadi got blown up. Yes. Uh, I think it was against Penn State. You had second goal from the two, yeah. or first and goal from the two, and then all of a sudden you've got second goal from the five. Yeah. That cannot happen. You got You got to. Your feet have to be going toward the goal exactly. line. You got to move people. Yep, yep. Yep. So uh, I forget what I was just saying about oh the offensive line as a whole. Your thoughts on how they played in this game? I thought they got leaky, and JJ McCarthy bailed them out with their feet a few times. And I don't know if it was the running backs that missed a couple blocks or, or allowed some leakage there, or some of the uh, the the uh, tackles. But there were times that they were in there. Well, it wasn't it wasn't perfect. Michigan State, you know, again this game was tight through most of the first half. Um, and I'm sitting there going, yep, here we go. It's a typical Michigan-Michigan State game, and the Spartans have come to play their absolute best. And um, so the defensive line was making some plays, getting some pressure. And But I think what we saw out of J.J. there was exactly the reason he ended up winning the job, because he moves so well, um, and, he, and he could do some things. Now, the stuff where he's double reversing and backing his way out and snaking backwards, uh, I, God, that makes me nervous when he yeah. does that stuff. Um, but he made a really nice play there. I can't remember if it was the second, maybe it was third quarter. Uh, the offense was moving uh, from left to right toward the south end zone there. Pressure came off the edge. He stepped inside of it, found uh, Schoonmaker down there along the sideline for a really nice football. Um, you know, it's going to be that way, Ballas. Uh, it, you know, again, the expectation and the standard for pass blocking is always the same. No one touches the quarterback, but that's in theory. It's the only way it goes. Um, is that is that it does get leaky at times. Blake Corum, uh, I'm going to tell you, if we could go back and watch Mike Hart cut block in pass pro and watch Corum cut block, and you took the uniform number off of these dudes, you could not tell the difference. Yeah. Corum looks like Mike Hart cut. He's, and, and, and Hart was a lethal cut blocker. Yeah. When, when linebackers would come through there, up high, 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 and then boom, down low and just cut a dude's legs in half. Oh. Guy goes flipping over. Oh my gosh! If I'm a linebacker, I remember it was it was last night watching that. I'm like, next time that linebacker comes, you can't tell me he's not thinking about that. Yeah. Oh my well, Lord. I tweeted something after the Iowa game where I used my phone because I'm an old guy and was like recording the screen, you know. But you could still <laughs> see it, and it was Blake Corum going low on a linebacker coming on a blitz at the last second. Boom! The guy goes end over end. Mm -hmm. And you get up, you did your job, you dust yourself off. You're exactly right. And his patience, it is amazing how much Blake Corum uh, looks more like Mike Hart. He's faster, clearly, and Mike mm -hmm. Hart will tell you that. But the way that he is getting those yards after contact. But the big question before the season was, hey, what mm -hmm. are we going to do without Hassan Haskins, right? Who's that guy that's going to move the pile? The legs on this kid, the drive, he kept probably three or four drives alive, Skeen, where on third and four, he turns two yards into four and a half, mm -hmm. something like that. Unbelievable how much he's improved in that. And it's area. always, it always feels like a backside spin. Like right. the defense has got him come down and then he just feels the pressure yep. and, and spins his body and falls forward yes. and gets maybe an extra half step with his loose foot. It's really, it's really impressive what this kid is turning into. Um, 
I think the separation between him with the football in his hand and Donovan Edwards, who's got a talent set of his own, mm-hmm. the separation has become a little more pronounced as yes. to the feature back really is. And obviously you can see with the, with the, the, the amount of times that, that Blake gets the ball, uh, the coaching staff realizes this too. And Edwards has got his own threats and special, special uh, talents that he's got. But boy, when, when Coram has the ball, um, the first time he gets hit, he rarely goes down. He's always yeah. coming out, making a guy make another another uh, attempt at a tackle or, or something. So um, is, is the number of carries for Quorum a concern? No, not mm-hmm. not at this point. I don't no. think so. Why? For two reasons. Number one, he's going to have probably 15 in the next two games uh, against uh, <laughs> Rutgers and Nebraska. Now, you know what? He's This kid is a legit Heisman contender, though, at this point. I'm not saying he's one of the top candidates, but he's one of those guys that could get in the group of five to go to New York. So you don't want to limit that. Uh, but I remember Chris Perry and the number of carries he got in his Doak mm-hmm. Walker season. Mm-hmm. You know what? These guys want the ball. And in fact, we asked Ken, we asked Blake about this at the after the game and he said you know what i want more give me more man and when i brought up the fact that he's breaking tackles that he wasn't last year you know he gives us the old flex and and you know he's nodding and smiling this kid's different he's built differently uh i love that kid the way that he works and and the kind of teammate he is now uh he did get uh corn for heisman michael i agree uh he'll be up there but um, you know what? His, the first thing he said when he got into that locker room was, I thought Tuck was coming or in that interview room. So he gave him a was little bit. Talking, was he talking about Coach Tucker? Is that what he was uh, talking exactly. about? Exactly. I thought Tuck was coming. He said, all I saw was him running off the field. So, you know what? Yeah, it's we're getting more and more towards that bad rivalry uh, with each each game. <laughs> However, you know what? With all the stuff and everything they put up with last year and, and the years prior, you know, I think Michigan State thought they were going to come in here and find a way to win this game because that's what's happened, you know, four, four mm-hmm. times some crazy crap has happened, whether it's a monsoon or with a backup quarterback, whether hey, it's punt be, gate or whatever. You know got, what? You know, and, and they've got Michigan State's got some players, Ballas. I mean, that wide receiver of theirs, yeah. uh, uh, that kid's a, that kid's a stud. He's a really good player, and they got yeah. a couple guys that can play really well. Uh, and I, you know, of course, I watch offensive line play, and uh, I know the young man that played left tackle for Michigan State got an unsportsmanlike early in the game. I didn't get to see the replay. I didn't know what he did, mm-hmm. but I watched him the rest of the game there. Boy, you know, again, take the helmet off, take the green and the white away. I like that kid's style, man. He's putting people on the ground whenever he could, putting people over the pile. You and I celebrate the same stuff when Michigan players do it to opponents. And, of course, he's doing it to Michigan guys, which isn't all that great. But that kind of style, those guys came into the stadium last night thinking they're going to beat us up and win because that's what you have to do to win this football game. It didn't work out that way for Sparty, but, you know, at this age, middle-aged guy, you know, fat guy, old dinosaur like me, I can take my hat off and just watch players play. And State's got some players, man. And uh, there's a few that I would like to have on our team, a few. Um, That wide receiver being one of them. And that left tackle, I'd take Hayes at our left tackle for sure over that kid, but I like the style at which he played. And I would like to apologize to our viewers for the Spartan <laughs> Love Fest here. We'll see if we can get I, Steve Everett here next I, week. I took the helmet right. off, Ballas. I said, take the helmet off and take the colors away. Just look at the poop, the football. It doesn't work that way, Skeen. And oh, again, okay. I'd like to apologize. So uh, Adam Shepardson had a good uh, question earlier, and I, I missed it. But um, we're talking about, all right, Michigan receivers in the passing game. You know what? I can't tell Skeen how much of it is guys aren't getting open Mm -hmm. because number one uh, you look 
from the end zone copy, right? And we see the all, yeah, there's, there's a question. It seems like JJ is simply going with the first open guy. How much of that is coaching or inexperience? Well, two things, you know what? They had a formula that worked last year because they weren't turning the ball over with Cade McNamara. If you're asking JJ McCarthy to be a little bit more of a game manager rather than a risk taker at this point in his career, I think that's a smart move. And I don't care what anybody says. Oh, let, you know, let JJ sling it and throw it. That's the way you're going to lose games if you have those turnovers. So I think they're kind of reining him in. There's there's no reason to have him sling it when you got backs running for 150, 250 yards a game. Right. There's no need to do this. Michigan's identity is a power running football team. And it's going to be complemented with a passing game off of that. There's no reason that we need to change and make JJ something that he doesn't need to be. Not yet. I don't mean to be disrespectful, Adam, Mm -hmm. with your question here, but I think that, uh, you know, is he going with the first open guy? That that may be the case here, Adam, because yeah. as, as, as any quarterback can tell, and you can see this certainly in the NFL, um, you cannot sit back there and hold that thing forever. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a sure thing and it's open, go for it. Get rid of it. Get rid of the football. You want to help your offensive lineman? Get rid of the football. You want to tire a defensive lineman out? Get rid of the football as fast and as expeditiously and as accurately as you can. It just yep. helps the whole process. But the one thing that difference between the offenses you guys ran and what these guys are running is that you guys had open receivers, man. You guys had guys and you had great yeah. receivers. So these guys aren't in that category of some of the guys that you played with. And that's not disrespecting them. That's just a fact. There were times where, you know what, there were guys running wide open. You run that waggle <laughs> or, and, yeah. and it's like, okay. And that's what it's supposed to look like, especially when you look at your rival. I'm not saying this offense has to be Ohio State because it's not how they're built and that's not what they want to be. But when you go back to pass and you have play action or whatever you should have some guys open at least one of your receivers open and there's a couple things going on here jj mccarthy is missing some guys still and he's still young there's a play where he threw underneath he was rolling out and he threw to the tight end colston loveland who dropped it ronnie bell was behind him for what would have been an easy 20 yard gain so maybe that's part of it but at the same time guys are stopping the routes it seems and it doesn't look like guys are getting open. Who's who's that on? Well, it's definitely guys not getting open. There was there was mm-hmm. many times when you can do your thousand one two three count, and yeah. and JJ pulls the trigger and gets rid of the football. And last night, Michigan State defenders were right there with our receivers, getting their hands in on the ball, right. knocking them down, contested catches that were incompletions, and and so that means dudes aren't getting the separation they need to get because uh, the pass protection was there. And so, again, you know, if we're going to compare receiving groups uh, of this year's batch to previous seasons at Michigan, um, you know, these again, we don't have that. We don't have a Braylon Edwards. We don't have, uh, um, you know, a long list of Michigan players that we've seen over the decades that can have that big, strong, dominating uh, uh, ability to just get separation. And so, you know, Ronnie Bell and, and, and Roman Wilson and Johnson and these guys are, they're, you know, they're running the routes and they're in a ballast, they're running good routes. Ronnie Bell yeah. had a really nice play later in the game. And, and then you do Edwards out of the backfield and you find the mismatch and you see the little head shake and you go the opposite way of your head, the way they're coached and everything else. They're finding creases. But when it comes down to man on man coverage and everybody in the stadium knows what's about to happen, it doesn't feel like we're getting open enough. No. to be able to take advantage of defenses. So this is going to be a problem down the road here at some point um, because you can't just line up and run it all the time. 
Right. It, like when you play Ohio State and then if you get to the playoff, those are the teams where you're going to have to have, be more balanced and throw the ball. Yeah. So uh, flat out, I think they can get away with it the rest of the year. Kind of reminds me of 2006 when they were vanilla, vanilla, vanilla. You're running Mike Hart. Then you come into the Ohio State game and you start slinging it with Mario Manningham and move right down the field consistently. 39 points. Unfortunately, there's no Mario Manningham on this team. Right. And really the number one guy on this team right now, Ronnie Bell, would probably be the third or fourth receiver on that group that included Braylon oh, Edwards, yeah. Jason Avant, and Steve oh, Preston. And yeah. that's nothing against that is nope. nothing against Ronnie Bell. But no, typically just, Ronnie yeah. Bell would be a good three number three receiver on yep. a great team. Now, there are some good young guys, and people are making good points here about Andrew Anthony. Well, you know what? Why aren't they targeting him more? And so on and so forth. Well, again, I you know, and we can't. What we can't see is we don't get the coach's film right, to watch right. Andrew run his routes. Is he exactly. getting open? Um, yep. are, you know, G money. Are we are we wasting Anthony's talent? I don't know the answer to that. Exactly. If we could sit and watch the film and watch all of his routes, is he getting open on his own? I don't know the answer. If in yep. fact he is getting out there and he's getting open, and we're not finding him the football, then maybe the answer to your question is maybe yes. Right. Uh, the other equation here. Wide receivers are not just allowed to go on the field and run routes and catch footballs. They are expected to be effective blockers out there too. So how does how does Anthony block when he's ex expected to go out there and lock onto a guy and block? Is he meeting expectations there? I don't know because you know again I don't think things have changed since I was out there in that practice field. If you can't block, you can't play. Right. And I think he's doing well. And people say, why don't you ask Jim Harbaugh these questions in the pressers? We do. And his point is, well, we've got Cornelius Johnson, who, by the way, needed to step it up. He didn't have his best game on Saturday and had a couple of offsides penalties and, and things like that. Where And the fumble, which you cannot fumble. do in this game as a veteran, do <laughs> period, end of story. Uh, I was really surprised. Um, Although his blocking this year has been fantastic. You know what? Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of a game-changing play. You're getting ready to march down. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you know what? They were really going to strip, try to strip the ball. They, Michigan State understood that, hey, the 50-50 balls and getting that ball out and getting some turnovers was their key to, to staying in the game. And they did for a while. But uh, he needs to be better in that respect. Uh, Cornelius Johnson's a solid receiver, not a great receiver. No disrespect meant. But again, when the standard, like you said, if you go back through the list of guys who played the position here, the Derek Alexanders and everybody like that, uh, you need to be a little better. Mm -hmm. Well, now well, the standard doesn't change, does it, Bowers? Right. And so right. guys have to live up to it. But if you're the coaching staff and you look around, you go, okay, we don't have the ability to get guys open like we need them to. What can we do otherwise? Well, you, you go to your tight end six times in one half and he catches yeah. the football for first downs. And if everybody's clamoring, getting all wadded up because we're not scoring 60 yard touchdown passes, yeah, okay, I guess. But, you know, again, when you can run the football for 200, 300, 400 yards a game, I don't care if we're not throwing bombs and hitting right. home runs. Yep. Um, you know, do we need to do that? Not necessarily. Um, are we going to need to do that against, uh, you know, Ohio State at the end of the year? Not necessarily unless you get behind. But if Michigan's Michigan's recipe at the end of the season, which is going to be keep the Ohio State offense on the sideline, let's take away clock and score touchdowns, that's how you're going to beat them. Then you don't need to sling the ball and, and do all those things. You just need first downs.
Yeah. See, you some know. guy said there's a reason we want to see JJ throw the ball because it hurts recruiting. Why would wide receivers receivers come here if they are not getting targets uh, to win championships? Number one, number two, uh, they're going to get their opportunities, and if they're good enough, then uh, they're going to play. And I think that's what you're going to see from Anthony. I think he's waiting in the wings. And uh, Darius Clemens is another one that somebody had mentioned. We'd heard unbelievable things about him. So Got to remember, guys. Steve Breston even redshirted his first year, and he turned out to be one of the most pro- pro- prolific return men in the history of the Michigan program. So uh, that's coming. Um, but, and I think you're going to see more and more of JJ McCarthy uh, throwing the ball. You know, when people say, oh, there's no way they're going to beat Penn State. Guys, you know what? Or Ohio State, rather. They don't aren't playing Ohio State today, number one. Number two, every game is different. You know, you have analysts out there. Oh, we, now we've got the film of Iowa versus Michigan and Iowa versus Ohio State, and there's no way Michigan can beat Ohio State. That's a bunch of crap. You know, it's like me saying, well, Ohio State really struggled with Penn State, and Penn State probably could have and should have won that game if they protected the ball, you know, and Michigan blew them out at home, so that means Michigan's going to go into Ohio State. No, they're talking about pass rush, too. Uh, I didn't think Michigan blitzed a whole lot. Uh and I don't know how much Max protecting went on with Michigan State. Maybe you can tell me. Uh, I didn't think Michigan got home a ton, but they are they are generating more pressure this year than they did last year. Uh, yeah. When you look at the sack numbers and the quarterback hurries. Yeah, well, the sack numbers again. I'd be interested in what those stats are. Take away the first three opponents, which were mm-hmm. god awful, and then yeah. I wonder how our stats line up against the rest Good. of the country. Better there. actually, because if they're, it, if they're better, then that's a testament are. to this defensive line. I think. Right. It's a pretty active defensive line that's come along, and they've got some guys that have come along and gotten really, really good in there. And so that's obviously a positive. Uh, it, they're going to need to do more of it, Ballas. And, and I don't yeah. know how much Michigan State was max protecting. I don't know that they were a whole lot. Okay. Uh, it seems like they had guys out doing their normal thing, maybe left it back in there for you know picking up one half of the offense like they normally do. I wouldn't call that max protect. Max is usually where you have a tight end and a back stay in the block. Right. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of that. Okay. Um, so, but the Michigan defensive line got in there. I know we laid a big lick, lick on uh, on Thorne there right before the half. Uh, Mozzie got in there and, and delivered a big blow on that quarterback. Those are the kinds of things that make quarterbacks nervous uh, for the next time they drop back in there. And uh, even in this game, Ballas, Michigan State had trouble with the snap. Yep. which was which watching the <laughs> game on beautiful. television, yeah. watching the game on television. It was kind of interesting. Did he say it? Did he yeah, say he trouble did. with the snap? He, oh, fantastic. He, he uh, eight, uh, Michigan eighth nationally in sacks with 26. I think eight of them or nine of them came in the first game. But after that, they were, they didn't have very many against Hawaii. They didn't have Hawaii was getting the ball out quickly and yeah. same with uh, the other team they played. So yeah. uh, they've been much better uh, at generating pressure. Mike Morris has been good. Iowa. And then to somebody else's point about the, the pass rush and you know, you don't, you don't beat Ohio State by sending everybody and and pressuring C.J. Stroud and blitzing. You do it by mixing up defenses. We saw that last year. Guess what? We saw Notre Dame do it. We saw Iowa and their base defense give C.J. Stroud all kinds of problems. And we saw Penn State do it for a good portion of that game where he looks frustrated. So those are the that's how you do it. OK, you, you control the ball. You run the game. Nobody wants to hear this. You don't want to get into a, a track meet with Ohio State. Right. You do mm-hmm. your thing. You wear them down. You take <laughs> ball possession. They possess the ball for 40 times. A lot of coaches say time of possession is one of the most overrated stats. However, if you do it right and you've got a good defense, I think it's underrated. Uh, it's underrated. And, and, and again, the recipe here at the end of November, about a month from now, is going to be keep Stroud and Harrison Jr. on the sideline. And right. and that running back uh, of theirs, um, they got weapons, Ballas. So it's going to take it, it's going to take Michigan's running game and proper use of a play clock and uh, it's a proper tempo out there 
to win that football game. And then again, when you get down inside the the 20, definitely inside the 10, you'd better come away with touchdowns. Field goals are not going to get it done. But uh, I got a feeling you and I are going to say the same thing a few times between now and then. But until then, you know, the next, the next week we got uh, next two weeks, we got a couple opponents that I think will be, uh, you know, interesting to watch. We'll see how this team handles it. But this Illinois team, Ballas, I'm telling you, this Illinois team is quietly playing with a lot yeah. of confidence and they're rolling people and they're beating people up. And yeah. it's the week before we play Ohio State. It's going to be interesting. Trap. It's a trap game, Ballas. Yeah. It's going to be a trap game. <laughs> Watch trap. out. Yeah. Um, somebody says, yeah, and another guy made a great point. You can't get sacks when the defense holds the opponent to six plays in the third quarter. They had two three and outs. They had negative yeah. nine yards rushing, I think, in that quarter, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So, you know defense what? What else? What more well. can you ask? Yeah. We're not yeah. talking about we're not talking about D Brown. We're not talking about this game. We're talking about what you need to do to beat Ohio State. And basically, that's what this whole season is about. And people can say whatever they want. You know what? I'm so happy to be eight. No, but nobody's criticizing. All we're saying is this is what you're going to need to do to beat the Buckeyes. And that is obviously the end goal. So, Hey, um, somebody says OSU averages eight points more per game than us. That's another good point. It's not like they're sitting there and, you know, averaging 60 points a game and against good solid defenses, they are not torching people against Iowa. They scored 54 points. Some guys like, what are you an idiot? You didn't, I'm like, they started eight drives literally. I think inside the 30 yard line where they were gifted 24 points. A lot, a lot of fans, uh, you know, like to look at us versus them comparisons. And and I haven't done this, but I'd be interested. I'd be interested to know, take the first three games away. Mm-hmm. And again, those first three teams we played, You're right. they're terrible. You're right. So we're dropping 50, 60 points against teams right. that are horrible. How have we done statistically versus other teams since the Maryland game? Maryland yep. forward, yep. I'd be far more interested in those stats than I would, yep. including the first three. Yeah, well, we know they put up 418 yards rushing on Penn State. Yeah, we know they. Awesome. We know that Blake Corum had 200 and something yards rushing against Maryland. We know that Blake Corum had 177 yards rushing against Michigan State. So they're doing just fine, guys, and they're going to be okay. Last thing I want to say, because a lot of people are mentioning Jesse Minner, what a job he's done as the defensive coordinator. I couldn't agree more. And the second half adjustments, this is something that I wrote in my post-game column. Uh, Unbelievable what they're doing in these second halves of games. It reminds me of the Bo Schembechler staffs. When you knew, when you went into halftime and you came out, you knew that they were going to have everything diagnosed and that if there were some Something going wrong they were going to fix it that's the way I feel about Jesse Minter uh, not as much about the offense because it really hasn't been that big a difference they're able to run the ball in the first and second halves of most games but defensively uh, when they brought the safety over to help with Keon Coleman the, the receiver okay they took him out of the game Michigan State had no answers Jaden Reed who appeared to be one of the tunnel bullies by the way and uh, we'll see if that's indeed the case uh, was held basically in check so they go to Coleman the way they did with that I think it was Ricky White kid or whatever a few years ago with his speed made some plays but the adjustments they took him out of the game they had no answer he's been fantastic yeah that's so, so there you go and, and and part of that benefit is uh the McDonald establishes the defense a year ago players understand the structure of the defense expectation timing tempo all those things the language of the defense and you get a coach that comes in and picks right up where McDonald left off that's why it's working so well Yep, no doubt about it. He's Doug Skeen, Michigan's former All-Big Ten offensive lineman, uh, five-time Big Ten champion. And, uh, guys, we really appreciate you being here. We will be doing this again next Sunday after Michigan plays Rutgers at night. Can't wait for that night game in Piscataway <laughs> and that Piscataway Friday night nightlife, man. We're going to have to go over to New York. but It's uh, going to – well, careful out there, Ballas. Yeah, 
Right, exactly. And don't forget Money Moody. As somebody said, that 54-yard field goal that he had was uh, clutch. So, kid's outstanding. So, 55 minutes today. Uh, I hope we answered most of your questions, guys. But, again, thanks for being here. We will talk to you next week. Go Blue.